Hello, and welcome to you, philosopher. So today, I want to talk with you about something tragic rather than a popular culture issue, but it's certainly one that merits talking about and one that is uh, certainly trending at the moment. But it's also one that I think should be taken with tremendous seriousness and with a level of dignity and certainly sorrow. And that's the issue of school shootings. So we have right now another school shooting. And what's kind of tragic about saying that, in addition to the fact that students are being shot in school, um, it would, of course, be tragic if children were being shot anywhere or Generally, I like to think if anyone was being killed. But what's kind of tragic about saying, well, there's another school shooting, in addition to all of that tragedy, is the fact that in saying that, a certain trigger, I think, is already set in terms of people go, oh, well, it's going to be part of some sort of agenda, particularly a liberal agenda, right? Like, oh, another one. Oh, you're going to make it a thing. And that's why... I thought it was important that we have this conversation because a fair number of young people who were lucky enough to live through this tragedy are speaking out. Now, we don't necessarily have to agree with them, say politically, if this is an issue of politics at all. But while some people are showing, you know, respect and concern and care and are at least hearing out these victims, many people are responding with a, oh, look, they're just attention hogs. Oh, look, um, they're just being manipulated by a political agenda on the left, right? As if these students in particular are so young that they wouldn't know any better and that they've just been picked up by a um, political machine that is malicious and at the end of the day is just trying to turn a tragedy into a political issue. And so I thought it was important that we just have an actual conversation about it, albeit a short one. And I just want to put out some thoughts on the issue rather than say, well, here's what I think we should do. There's a whole lot of people right now who are going to tell us what we should do. Um, some of them have first-hand experience in dealing with this, and we might heed their concerns and, and their calls, ranging from victims to law enforcement. Um, and then there's other people, people like me, pundits and politicians, who are going to say, well, we should do this and we should do that. And I'm not so sure that we're the ones who should be telling people what to do, since we're tend to, we tend to be the ones who know the least about it, we haven't gone through it, we're not dealing with it, right? Those of us who are, um, you know, pundits and talking heads, um, we're the ones who should be doing the listening. And so what I'd like to do rather than say, here's what I think we need to do about this violence, I want to simply pose some thoughts and some questions that occur to me in dealing with the issue. Because I think one of the first things that we need to look at is the fact that this really is a difficult issue. And when I say that, I realize that 
I'm in danger of angering people on both sides of the issue insofar as if I say it's a difficult issue, well, some people are going to respond, what's difficult about protecting kids, Nick? What's difficult about that? And I think that's a, that's a fair shot for people to take, right? That's a fair concern that they say, why would you even think that there's something to talk about? We need to get the guns out of the hands of people who are going to do harm and we need to protect our children. And what, what can I say to that person other than you have a very important point? But someone else who hears me say that might respond, what is there for you to say, Nick? This is a, a matter of a constitutional right. It's key in the Bill of Rights. It's the Second Amendment. It's the one thing that protects us, that gives us any teeth to protect us from dictatorship and the collapse of democracy as a whole. So what right do you have to say that this should be talked about in the slightest? And these are both fair points, and I think that's why we need to talk about them. Because at the end of the day, we have a serious tension here, and one that I think most people are actually willing to talk about if we were to sit down, and that tension is this kind of perennial tension between freedom and safety. Now, we tend to, when it's the issue of, like, terrorism, we tend to be willing to give up a lot of freedom for safety. You know, we're willing to go through lines and airports and, you know, the, the, the stuff that you can't take on an airplane now is, you know, pretty restrictive. And we're willing to let the government listen to our phone calls and so on and so forth, right? We haven't really, as one populace, kind of stood up and said, okay, we need to close Guantanamo Bay and we as a populace don't want to have to go through these security checks in airplanes. You know, like we've been willing to be restricted for our safety to some, to some degree. I realize that some people listening are like, I'm not cool with any of that, Nick. What are you talking about? And, and fair point. What I mean to say, though, is, is that we seem a good deal less inclined to, to let ourselves kind of be restricted in any significant sense for not just our safety, but the safety of others when it comes to an issue like gun rights and gun control. And, and that might be because people feel that that restriction doesn't make them safer. It actually makes them less safer. So maybe it's a different issue, right, that not only am I losing a freedom by not being able to buy certain kinds of weapons, um, but I'm also now somehow less safe, right? Um, I can't defend myself in the same way. So I think that's really kind of what needs to be discussed here, which is one, are we, are we safer? And what is it that we're supposed to be safer from? Now, where the argument tends to get, I think, the most traction is the realization that the whole idea of the, the Second Amendment is in part powerful and important because we're supposed to be able to, if necessary, bear arms against our government if our government fails miserably as a democracy, right? That's kind of the idea there, that like the people who wrote the Constitution, there might be a circumstance in which we feel that the government is in fact... Um, no longer representing us and representing our will and unwilling to listen to us and thusly we must have a revolution. And that certainly seemed to be what people like say Thomas Jefferson thought. 
you know, that might be necessary. So if we say that we should simply take away everyone's guns, which I don't think is really on the table, not many people are saying that in the first place, um, we, we come into tension with probably the, that key component, that key aspect of, of the Second Amendment, which is the ability to protect oneself against a tyranny. Now, here's the problem, is back in the day when that was written, one's ability to, to acquire a firearm meant that one could acquire a firearm that let one kill about, you know, one person at a time. And this was largely equivalent to the kinds of firearms that the government had access to as well. But you kind of had to have an army to engage in mass killing. Weapons are no longer like that. We can kill millions of people with one weapon, depending on what kind of weapon it is. And so the game has changed in a significant way. So in looking at the Second Amendment, this is one thing that we want to ask ourselves about is, was the intention that we should be able to have the equivalent kind of weaponry that our government can have and thusly um, even into the far future where we are now be able to say kill millions of people in other words should we be able to have say atomic weapons should i be able to you know just keep one around the house in case i ever feel the need to be to engage in civil disobedience the problem is, of course, the comedy of it is, is that key aspect of the Second Amendment is kind of a moot point now, not just because we kind of recognize that we don't want people to have atomic weapons at home, but also because if we're really honest with ourselves, and I realize this thought is going to irritate some people, but we really can't in any significant way rise up against our government in that way. I mean, really, the best way that we can rise up against our government is through voting, right, and through purchasing power. But, you know, even if I had access to weapons that are more powerful than the ones that we have access to now, right, you know, semi-automatics with bump stocks, I mean, I could have fully automatic weapons. I could, I could have a tank and roll it down, you know, the street. The fact of the matter is, is if I tried to stand up against my government like that, the only thing preventing me from being a smoldering crater is just the government kind of holding itself back, right? I mean, I'm just like one drone strike away from being paced. And even if a whole bunch of us were to kind of rise up as one, the military might of the United States is significant. And in addition to that fact, it's specifically geared around keeping our troops safe while doing maximum damage to the enemy. So in other words, we have things like drones and stealth bombers and, you know, so even if we were to kind of like militia together, the only thing that really prevents the government from just wiping us all out is like bad public relations, right? And, and that happens, you know, every once in a while, someone will like take over a compound and be like, we're standing up against the government. And then they get to feel good about it because usually they like walk out alive and, People are looking at them kind of like they're heroes. But the only reason why, you know, they're not dead is, is because the feds decided that it would look bad to kill them all. You know, I mean, it just takes one Moab. It doesn't even have to be a nuke to just simply eradicate that compound. So if part of the reason why 
we're concerned about gun rights is just so that we can protect ourselves against the government, there's a certain degree to which we're kidding ourselves. So what it really comes down to is, is gun rights and gun ownership outside of things like, say, maybe hunting are largely a matter of protecting oneself against other civilians and perhaps, you know, like, you know, some sort of local law enforcement gone rogue or something along those lines. But I mean, the fact of the matter is I think most people are concerned about guns at this point because they want to be able to protect themselves from someone else who's like breaking into their home or trying to do them some sort of harm or walking into a school. And okay, so what do I need to be able to do that? Do I need fully automatic weapons? Do I even need semi-automatic weapons to be able to do that? Is my ability to protect myself a matter of needing significant firepower? And maybe not, right? I mean, the problem obviously is, is that these automatic weapons are such that someone can use them in a very short period of time and kill a tremendous number of people. Do we really need that to be able to defend ourselves from each other? I mean, maybe we would need that to be able to defend ourselves from our government, but as pointed out, that's kind of a moot point. So we would need it to defend ourselves from other shooters? Probably not. So sometimes there's a question of like, why is it, why are we so reticent to be willing to kind of give up that freedom to help restrict the possibility that someone else might be able to, to go into a school or I don't know, a fast food restaurant or wherever, wherever they want to go and do that. And so we now look at it and we go, okay, well, obviously the solution to this problem is um, more gun ownership. That seems to be one of the major pushes right now. Let's arm the teachers and that way they can keep our kids safe. And, and what a weird world to live in. Maybe that's a right answer, maybe it's not, but what a strange kind of positioning to be placed in. I mean, as a teacher, don't get me wrong, I've given serious thought to purchasing a Kevlar vest because of how truly dangerous it seems to be coming. Um, or perhaps that's just, you know, media um, blowing it out of proportion. But that being said, it, I certainly don't feel safe. I certainly don't feel safer than I did as a child knowing that people can walk around carrying these guns or these automatic weapons and with open carry and stand your ground laws. Like, I wonder like, well, how endangered does someone have to feel? I've, I mean, I worry enough about being killed driving down the highway by someone who just gets mad at me. Now I have to worry about like standing in line at Publix and someone just not being able to take it anymore and blowing my brains out. And well, is the solution simply taking everyone's guns away? Well, again, probably not, but I don't think that that answer's really on the table. I don't think anyone's really pushing that. So what do we do? Okay, so we arm all of the teachers. And then I wonder like, well, do we make it a requirement for the teachers? And then do we, do we come down on the teachers who kind of refuse to, those who are more pacifistic or have a religious requirement that they don't or something along those lines? We say, oh, you're unwilling to protect the kids. You're unwilling to take this gun training. You're unwilling to carry a gun to school to protect their children. And you know, what if the teacher responds, well, I'm afraid that the gun might accidentally go off. I'm afraid that a, a student might get their hands on the gun. I'm afraid that in defending the students, I might accidentally shoot a student in a scenario like that. Or, and this seems kind of completely lost on us, what if the teacher simply says, I just don't believe in killing people? And that, you know, we just view that as kind of like a weenie position now. Oh, like what a wimp, how, how dare you? 
So I'm not exactly sure where that's going to go, and I certainly don't want to create like a slippery slope and suggest that some teachers being armed means that all would be required to. But it is, it is odd to me that our response doesn't seem to include the possibility of restricting who can have guns, you know, people on terror watch lists or people who are, are really struggling, um, you know, mentally or something like that. And there's good reason to be concerned about that as well. I mean, are we curtailing those civil rights? Can you simply put someone on a terror watch list who's not a terrorist just to prevent them from being able to speak out against their government? There's a lot of good questions there. And I think that that leads to a couple of final thoughts on this. One of which is, is we kind of seem to be throwing up our hands and saying, okay, well, the real solution to this isn't re reducing guns or any other kinds of laws or improved back background checks. Um, maybe it's arming teachers or having more security forces or something along those lines. Uh, maybe we make the students go through more metal detectors. And I mean, I just want you to think about some of the logistics of some of this, right? So like, say we have um, armed personnel there at the school and all the students have to go through metal de detectors. I mean, high schools sometimes, you know, have many hundreds, if not, you know, a thousand students or something along those lines. How long will it take for them to get through the metal detectors? How many personnel do you have to have there checking them? And now you've got these students all like corralled waiting to get in line, which kind of ironically enough, makes it the perfect time and place to shoot a whole bunch of them. And people say, well, they're not, you know, these shooters aren't going to come in and try and shoot these students if they know other people are armed, except it seems like a lot of times when people do this, they're prepared, willing, and wanting to die. So maybe they go in there hoping that they can take a lot of people out with their automatic weapon, and then they'll be shot and not, not have to face the consequences. So I'm not sure how much of a deterrent it would be. I mean, is it, especially if someone's mentally ill, which seems to be part of the concern here, is it's like, are we talking about people who need help? Uh, people who are struggling mentally in some way? Like, are they suddenly going to go, oh, well, I might get shot, so I'm definitely not going to go do it. I mean, they know that there's a high likelihood that the police force and federal agents and these people are going to show up and shoot at them. So why are they going to be less, that much less likely to do it if the teachers themselves are armed? Um, now, maybe arming the teachers will help re stop them earlier. Um, but I'm not sure it would prevent that many from going in in the first place. So part of our answer now seems to be, okay, well, clearly what we need is we need God back in schools and we need to pray and so on and so forth. And I, I'm not going to come down on anyone who wants to say that a lot of what's taught in many religions is uh, about love and peace and charity and kindness. Um, and if you point out something like the separation of church and state, people get really upset because they're like, well, God is a key component of our country. Um, but keep in mind, the whole idea of separation of church and state isn't to protect the state, it's to protect the churches. It's specifically to prevent the government from being able to tell churches how to worship or who they have to marry or what they have to do or so on and so forth. It's to prevent the government from picking one religion over another. And so it's kind of easy to say, well, you know, these government institutions like public schools should have prayer in them when it's like the religion that you follow. But what about all the religions that other people um, who are in a minority of some kind, um, 
should they also have to follow that religion? How does how does that work? And what happens if you're eventually in that in that minority? And a lot of people don't like that argument because again, it sounds like well, you're just catering to a minority um, and fails to recognize the good and the positive that can come out of a lot of religious belief sets. But I think there's two key points to that. One of which is simply the fact that yes, there's a tremendous amount of good and love that comes out of many uh, religious positionings. However, that has not seemed to stop people who claim to follow a particular religious and ethical philosophy from killing people, uh, from killing people for fun, for killing people maliciously. And that counts for basically every major religion across the planet, right? Um, whether it's Christians engaging in, in crusades or um, uh, extremist uh, terrorist acts done in the name of Islam or even Buddhists killing Muslims, right? So simply teaching people a religion doesn't seem to stop them from killing people. And I'm especially concerned about that idea given the fact that we seem to be saying on one hand, let's teach them about God while at the same time saying, I don't want to give up my guns. I want to be able to shoot people if I have to. Um, we need to be able to kill bad guys. And so if the whole idea of a religion in this case is about peace and love and acceptance and understanding, we seem to want to bring God into the equation without having to bring in the idea of love and peace and pacifism and turning the other cheek and forgiving people, so on and so forth. And so that's, that's one, I think, major concern. And then the other is a realization that you might kind of walk away from this conversation going, Nick, you have no idea what you're talking about. The statistics are not on your side. And, and notice that that might go either way. You might, you might be walking away from the conversation saying, obviously, if you look at these statistics, they show that, you know, the more guns there are in a country, the more people are being killed. That's just basic math, right? Or you might be walking away saying there's no evidence to suggest that gun control reduces mass shootings or something along those lines. Fine. Excellent. And that brings us, I think, by my lights, to the most important logical point, not the most important emotional point. The most important, to me, the most important emotional point is, is that we need to find a way to protect people and love each other and support these victims of this tremendous tragedy who just end up being ignored over and over and over again. I mean, these kids go through this and, and these teachers go through this and you know, we call them names and we treat them like they're just out, you know, being manipulated or they're just out for, for fame. And it's not dissimilar from, I think, the ways that sometimes we treat our police force and our military personnel. They go through these traumatic events. Um, and in, in, the, in the case of the military and in, in the case of the police force and in the case of teachers trying to protect their students, specifically to protect other people, to protect us. And then when they need help, if they're suffering PTSD or they're struggling with the VA, when they come to us as a society, we give them like the worst and, and the least um, of our best selves. We just kind of like, oh no, now you just want attention. And you know, we'll say that we need to respect you know, teachers who try and defend their students. We say we need to respect our police force. We say we need to respect our military. But then when it really comes down to like taking care of veterans and when it comes to taking care of police officers, you know, many police officers are concerned about gun control. And that doesn't seem to come up because it's their lives on the line when civilians are just walking around with guns without proper training. But that does bring to the point, well, again, Nick, you have no idea what you're talking about in this conversation. It's just making me angry. Well, fair enough. But how am I supposed to be able to give good information when 
probably one of the major research institutions that our country has to actually look into um, public harm is legally prevented from being able to look into gun violence, right? The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, is specifically prohibited from doing research that might in some or any way promote gun control. In other words, if they were to do a study and found out that certain things, um, certain kinds of gun control might reduce gun violence, they would lose their funding, like wholly. So the CDC doesn't go near it. And so we don't have numbers on it. And the numbers literally might show, oh, gun control doesn't do that. It doesn't reduce gun violence, but we don't really get to know because of legislation that prevents the CDC from being able to do this research in the first place. And that to me is absolutely mind blowing. It's like, we just don't want to know what maybe that ends up being the case. Maybe we find out instead that actually the best way to reduce gun violence is through like community outreach programs, right? Or uh, mental health support. I don't know. We're just not allowed to, to, to even check. And so talking heads like me speak out of their rear ends um, because we don't even have full access to the data. You know, some of us take the best guesses that we can, but until we as a country decide that we're not afraid of information, we're not going to be able to make informed decisions. We're so, it seems as if the idea of doing research now just is part of some evil liberal agenda like, oh, well, those numbers are just going to... Statistics can be manipulated, that's true, and numbers can be misused. But if we did not just a little research or just a key couple of key points of pointed research, but if we did a whole lot of research and I had a whole lot of studies and we could kind of look at them as a whole and look for trends and look for major themes throughout that body of research, but instead we don't have that. We have virtually nothing in comparison with what we could have to really try and understand this issue. And one thing then remains, after so many people have died as a result of these kinds of mass killings, don't we at the very least owe it to them, to their families, to the people who suffered, the people who are scared, the people who are afraid to go to school, the people who are afraid to go to work, to do some research on the issue, to not be afraid of whether or not that research agrees with our position or not, but instead to try and do whatever it is that would be the right thing to help protect each other. So with that, I wish you a wonderful week.